As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question asks if I can look at the mental health and personality characteristics of Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer is one of the most notorious serial killers in the history of the United States. He was born in 1960 and died in 1994. He was an active serial killer from 1978 to 1991. He committed 17 murders. All of his victims were male, ages 14 to 31, and most were African American. Now, I'm going to go through the timeline here and then take a look at the mental health and personality factors. Now, Jeffrey Dahmer, of course, was a real person, so I'm not diagnosing anybody here, just speculating on what could have been happening in a situation like this. So, Jeffrey Dahmer was born in Wisconsin. He lived in Iowa for a while, and then his family moved to Ohio. In his early life, he was neglected. His parents argued. Depending on what records you look at, either in 1964 or in 1966, he developed a double hernia in his scrotum, and this was extremely painful, and he had to have surgery, and the recovery from the surgery was painful. In 1966, his parents moved into separate bedrooms in the same house, so they were having a lot of marital problems. In 1968, it was possible that he was assaulted by a neighbor, but we don't really have clear evidence of this. We do know that around the same time, he took an interest in dead animals. So he liked to dismember dead animals, take all the flesh off the bones, keep the bones, arrange the bones. So he really had a fascination with what was inside of the animals' bodies. Now, from what we can tell, he didn't actually murder these animals. These animals were roadkill. He found them dead, and then he would dismember them, and do all these other things. Now, by 1970, so we're talking about when he was around 10 years old, he increased his activity of collecting roadkill. He bleached the bones of chickens. He kept insects in bottles of formaldehyde. He decapitated small rodents, and he learned to use acid to strip the flesh off the bones of dead animals. So, he really just expanded on his earlier interest and behavior surrounding dead animals. Now, during his early school years, he did get in trouble a lot at school. 
He used to shout out strange things at unusual times, make animal noises, he conducted a lot of pranks, and he used to fake seizures. In 1974, he started high school, and this is where he began to have fantasies of sex with a corpse. And his drinking, which had already started before this, increased in high school. His classmates considered him a loner and an alcoholic. Evidently, he was drinking scotch in class. Now, he indicated that he tried to overcome a lot of thoughts in this time frame, obsessive thoughts at around age 15 or 16. And these were thoughts, of course, as I mentioned, of having sex with a corpse and of engaging in murder. Now, according to Dahmer, he first had a plan to murder somebody when he was 16, but the person didn't show up when he thought they would show up. So it was 1978, after his parents divorced, when he would pick up a 19-year-old hitchhiker, Stephen Hicks, and take him back to his house, Dahmer's house. And when Hicks tried to leave, Dahmer hit him with a barbell and then strangled him with that barbell. He removed all the flesh from the bones, smashed the bones, and buried the remains in his backyard. So this 1978 murder of Stephen Hicks was Dahmer's first murder. In December of 1978, Dahmer went into the army. He served as a medic in West Germany. His drinking became even worse, and he was eventually discharged for that reason in 1981. He spent some time in Florida directly after being discharged, but then moved back to Ohio just a few months later. Now, later in that same year, 1981, he was arrested for disorderly conduct, having an open alcohol container, and resisting arrest. In 1982, he was arrested for drunken disorderly conduct, and then he moved in with his grandmother in Wisconsin. In early 1983, he got a job in a chocolate factory, and we see in 1986, he was arrested for lewd and lascivious behavior in Milwaukee and sentenced to one year of probation. In 1987, Dahmer killed a 24-year-old man in a hotel room. He claims he had no memory of this. He disposed of the body in a similar way as to what we saw in 1978, and the remains of this body have never been found. In 1988, he killed both a 14-year-old male and a 25-year-old male. He moved out of his grandmother's house into an apartment and assaulted a 13-year-old and was arrested. In 1989, he was sentenced for that crime and eventually would end up serving 10 months in prison. But before that, he would kill another individual, a 24-year-old male, in March of 1989. In 1990, he would murder four more victims, and in 1991, he murdered eight more victims. On July 22, 1991, Jeffrey Dahmer was trying to murder another male victim, and this person escaped, flagged down a police car, and the police searched Dahmer's apartment. They found body parts, and they found photos of victims. Evidently, at this time, when the police were there in his apartment, he was combative and angry. But of course, they did arrest him. And in 1992, we see all these hearings trying to determine if Dahmer could stand trial or if he qualified as insane or insanity defense. But with all this, he was still convicted and sentenced to 15 consecutive life terms. And later on, he would be sentenced to a 16th life sentence for the murder of his first victim, Stephen Hicks. Dahmer went to prison to start serving his multiple life sentences, and he was killed by another murderer named Christopher Scarver. Christopher Scarver killed Jeffrey Dahmer in the shower using a metal pipe, and he also killed another inmate just after killing Jeffrey Dahmer. So that's the timeline for Jeffrey Dahmer. What about the mental health and personality aspects? Well, in terms of the mental health, I mentioned these hearings to determine 
if Jeffrey Dahmer was sane. And when these occurred, we had a number of mental health professionals that testified to all these different potential diagnoses. So there's actually some agreement between them, but a lot of disagreement. We see diagnoses thrown out there like borderline personality disorder, schizotypal personality disorder, psychotic disorder, necrophilia, alcohol dependence, which is now, of course, called substance use disorder, antisocial personality disorder, personality disorder not otherwise specified, which, of course, doesn't exist in the current DSM. But we see what they're trying to do here was say that he had personality disorder traits like borderline obsessive compulsive and sadistic traits. So we really see kind of a lot of mystery around what was going on in terms of his mental health. We see other mental health professionals at the time that believed he had no mental disorders. And in prison, we see that they were treating him under the diagnosis of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. So we see a lot of confusion in terms of what was going on diagnostically. Now, if you look at his statements, Jeffrey Dahmer admitted that he had compulsions, but didn't typically refer to them as voices or commands or anything like that, at least not in the evidence that I could find. He talked about wanting a feeling of control, power, domination, and that when he pursued these feelings, when he gave in to these feelings, he felt fear and pleasure. He indicated that when he committed these murders, he wasn't angry, he wasn't doing it for revenge, that he didn't hate anybody. And he describes kind of all these activities in a very matter-of-fact way. He indicates that he felt that the victims were part of him. And we see the same type of wording used by Ted Bundy. Dahmer indicated that these murders were really the only thing that gave him satisfaction. He also seemed to take responsibility to some degree after being arrested. He said there was no one else to blame for his 13-year murder spree. He indicated there was no point in trying to hide his actions any longer. And he also said that if he was put back out in the street, he would commit the crimes again. He couldn't think of any way that he would stop committing murder. So in a sense, when you look at him being interviewed, he seems truthful. He appears to answer spontaneously, perhaps somewhat embarrassed or ashamed of some of his activities. And he didn't really have a clear agenda. For example, we never heard anything about him trying to get an appeal. He seemed to accept that he would be in prison life. He actually stated that. So what was going on here in terms of the mental health and personality? Well, of course, we can only speculate at this point. We see many different opinions from the mental health clinicians that interviewed him, which is actually a common problem when we see this intersection of mental health and the law, right? You have people hired by the state and then people hired by the defense, and they end up having different conclusions diagnostically. It does point out the imprecision and lack of knowledge in the mental health professions, right? When these things happen, it's always a little bit worrisome to see professionals come up with all types of different diagnoses. Now, when you talk about a murder trial like this, or these hearings to determine sanity, these are high stakes. These mental health clinicians were well paid. And theoretically, you would believe they're doing their best work. And yet they couldn't seem to agree on many important points about Jeffrey Dahmer's mental health diagnoses. So I'm going to give my thoughts on what could have been going on here. But again, I never got to meet him in person. And these other mental health professionals, even though they had a lot of different 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal. Diagnostic impressions, they actually did interview him. So in terms of personality, I'll conceptualize his personality using the five-factor model. Again, what could be happening. That is a model that has five big traits. I remember them through the acronym OCEAN, openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and eroticism. So in terms of openness to experience, it would seem like Jeffrey Dahmer had high openness to experience. He did seem adventurous and perhaps psychotic, and I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. And he had a lot of fantasy. So highly consistent with being elevated on the openness to experience trait. In terms of conscientiousness, he had fairly low conscientiousness. He gave in to impulses. He was arrested frequently. He did keep a job for a while, and he seemed organized in some other ways. But in general, I would say low conscientiousness. Now, with extroversion, his extroversion was low, so he was introverted. He kept to himself, but he was able to demonstrate a degree of superficial charm when needed. And this becomes important a little bit later. I'll talk about this. Now, in terms of agreeableness, his agreeableness was actually fairly low. He was combative and antagonistic, but he could appear to be agreeable. So when people met him, he seemed relatively friendly and inviting. So again, we see some deception components here. For neuroticism, the last trait, his neuroticism appears to be extremely low, which is consistent with psychopathy. Now, when we talk about psychopathy, we see this report that he was tested for psychopathy, but fell short of the cutoff score to qualify as psychopathic. But I think it seems pretty clear now that Jeffrey Dahmer was, in fact, psychopathic. That seems to be a reasonable guess. He had a lack of empathy. He was sensation-seeking, manipulative, and deceitful. So he had a number of the characteristics that we see associated with psychopathy. And he actually had a few others too, like being irresponsible and impulsive. So looking at the mental health aspects, again, we see many potential diagnostic impressions. His presentation was quite confusing to the mental health clinicians that talked to him. So I'm going to look at each of these diagnoses that he was given at some point and kind of give my thoughts on the factors that point toward him having the diagnosis 
and some factors that maybe don't line up with the diagnostic impression. So first, I'll kind of start with the easy ones, right? Substance use disorder in terms of specifically alcohol. This seems pretty clear that he had this. Necrophilia, it seems pretty clear that he had necrophilia. Now, I think it's also likely he had antisocial personality disorder. We see conduct disorder symptoms before the age of 15, which would be required for that diagnosis. We see criminality, deceitfulness, a lack of remorse, aggressiveness, a reckless disregard for the safety of others, being irresponsible, and being impulsive. So really, an argument can be made that he meets all seven of the symptom criteria for antisocial personality disorder. Now, moving on to borderline personality disorder, this one is much more controversial. And we see people that kind of strongly fall into opposite camps in terms of their positions with this disorder and Jeffrey Dahmer. I think that what makes people believe that he could have had borderline is this claim that he acted violently when somebody tried to leave. So this idea that he would go and invite these men to have sex with them at his apartment or wherever. And when they wanted to leave, that's when he became violent. Almost like maybe he wasn't planning to kill them all along which is a possibility because some he did let go. So again, this is unclear for many people, but some people really believed that he had borderline personality disorder, even to the point where we see that one of the mental health clinicians who interviewed him said that Jeffrey Dahmer met all of the symptom criteria for borderline personality disorder. Now that seems to be a little bit of a stretch. We do see evidence that he could have met the frantic efforts to avoid abandonment, the chronic feeling of emptiness, the anger, when we get to other symptom criteria, it seems more unclear, like affective instability. He had low neuroticism. His mood actually seemed fairly stable. And we see impulsivity referred to a lot here, but the impulsivity with borderline is impulsivity in two areas that would be self-damaging. So he was impulsive, yes, but maybe not in a way we typically see with borderline. But again, he was diagnosed with this, and there was some level of agreement in terms of borderline personality disorder. Now, we also see this discussion around obsessive compulsive personality disorder traits. So not meeting the full criteria for OCPD, but having the traits. And this was probably due to the methodical way he dismembered the bodies and disposed of them. This is evidence of being organized, but not strong evidence of OCPD. This disorder has perfectionism, rigid thinking, following the rules, essentially extremely high conscientiousness, and he did not appear to have high conscientiousness. Now, when you get to the argument for OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, this one is a real possibility. We talked about feelings of compulsions, feeling pushed to commit the crimes. Now, usually OCD isn't associated with any violence, and these compulsions could be explained by psychosis, and I think that's a real possibility. So it gets a little confusing as we enter the area of OCD and looking over at psychosis as well, because again, both could explain what he was talking about. So we see that he was diagnosed by at least one of the professionals with psychotic disorder. Now, technically, that diagnosis these days would be called brief psychotic disorder. And the diagnosis is sometimes given when mental health clinicians can't figure out what the real diagnosis is, like after a first episode of psychosis, when it isn't known whether or not somebody will develop schizophrenia. And there's another important part to brief psychotic disorder. And that is that after a psychotic episode, somebody returns to pre-morbid functioning. So they go back to not having symptoms of psychosis. Now, this is actually a possibility. It explains perhaps why Jeffrey Dahmer was able to function normally 
but then would commit these heinous murders. So the next disorder we see that was kind of thrown into this mix is schizotypal personality disorder. This is a cluster A personality disorder in the same cluster as paranoid and schizoid personality disorders, the odd eccentric cluster. I think this is really one of the most interesting disorders that was mentioned in this case. It's a diagnosis not typically associated with any type of violence, but we do see some behaviors by Jeffrey Dahmer that could be consistent with this diagnosis. He kept the skulls of his victims and other bones. He also kept the genitals. He ate body parts. He felt a connection to the corpses. He would drill holes in the victims' heads and put in water or an acid solution, hoping that they would turn into zombies. He also arranged the bones and thought of it as kind of a power center, and he believed it could help him be successful in a lot of different areas, including real estate investing. So if we look at the symptom criteria for schizotypal personality disorder, we do see that some of the symptom criteria seem to line up with what we saw with Jeffrey Dahmer. So the symptom criteria include ideas of reference, odd beliefs, unusual perceptual experiences, odd thinking, paranoia, constricted affect, odd appearance, not having many close friends except for maybe a first-degree relative, and having social anxiety. Of course, schizotypal alone doesn't really explain the criminal component, but if we take schizotypal and combine this with antisocial personality disorder, this would be consistent with the behavior we see with Jeffrey Dahmer. Another possibility would be schizophrenia mixed with antisocial personality disorder. As I mentioned later on in prison, we see these diagnoses of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, what we would now call schizoaffective disorder. It's also possible, but I don't think we see really any clear evidence in his behavior of depression and mania, but perhaps it was more evident in a prison setting. So those are some of my thoughts in terms of the personality and mental health characteristics. Jeffrey Dahmer's presentation was highly unusual, and he really wasn't assessed thoroughly outside of the context of his trial. And of course, he was murdered in prison, so there's no way that he could be interviewed after that happened. So really, a extremely unusual serial killer who is murdered in prison, and now we're not going to find anything else out about him in terms of interviewing or any type of assessment. We do know that there was a sexual component to his murders. He was a domination killer, and he was someone who likely would have committed more murders if he wasn't caught. If you consider the increasing frequency of his crimes leading up to the time of his arrest, this escalation, it appears these obsessions and compulsions were growing stronger and or his ability to resist the obsessions and compulsions was growing weaker. So we don't really know what was happening there at the moment when he was arrested, like where he would have gone. But I think it's reasonable to say that he was going to continue to be quite dangerous and become even more dangerous. So again, an extremely interesting case. And it highlights kind of a lot of the weaknesses in terms of diagnostic precision and other problems with law enforcement. How does somebody commit all these various crimes that he was arrested for and not be a suspect for these murders? We actually see numerous times when Jeffrey Dahmer could have been caught if law enforcement was really more aware of how mental health and personality aspects operated. We see this time when Jeffrey Dahmer had a 14-year-old that he was assaulting, and the police intercepted the 14-year-old, and Dahmer convinced the police to bring him back, and of course he murdered that individual later on. And we see these reports from his neighbors that they heard chainsaws, and that they smelled something that seemed to be rotting flesh, or rotting meat. So again, many opportunities 
and much to learn about serial killers from this case. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.